Our next presenter is Matt Battiales from Stansbury Associates. He writes the SNA Resource Report. Matt is a veteran of this conference and uh, always a big hit. That's why we asked him to come back, even though there's a bunch of other Stansbury guys here this time also. <laughs> we, we squeezed you in. Sorry. Uh, I'm willing to say this about Matt. Matt is a, a really nice guy and a brilliant investor. And I, I know you're going to enjoy what he has to say. So please welcome Matt to the stage. Good morning. Looks like a lot of folks haven't come back. They, they saw oil and gas in the, this, in the title and bailed on us there. That's all right. I, um, I think this is really, really important. And I, I, think it's a, I think it's a subject that's not getting enough attention I think many investors have, have decided that the shale boom is kind of tired and they're not interested in it. And uh, I am of the complete opposite opinion. Uh, how many of you read the SNA Resource Report? Oh, good, good, quite a few of you. you the audience, the rest of them are outside talking to the junior mining company. Um, I hope you all have made some money in these stocks. We've done really well in a really short time. I mean, we're. I think our average on these uh, on the small shale stocks is about 30% in a couple of months. Um, that's pretty good over a, a, over the portfolio of 10 or 12 that we have in there. Um, I had a chance to talk to T Boone Pickens about this uh, uh, last month. We had a we had a Stansbury Society meeting in Dallas, Texas. For those of you who don't know T Boone, he's one of my favorite people. He's in his 80s. He's on his third marriage, uh, just got married, uh, and he is, he's full of it. Uh, really, really, really one of my heroes, so I enjoyed speaking with him. But uh, he and I are on the same page with this. This is the, the shale boom that's going on right now in North America um, is the single biggest event in energy since we shifted from whales to coal. And there is a lot of money to be made, and there's more money to be made now than there was five years ago when we were just figuring this stuff out. This is a chart of U.S. oil production. So many of you probably remember uh, the Arab oil embargo in the 70s. The Carter administration uh, put together a secret panel to go in and figure out what the domestic oil production situation looked like. And uh, the senator came back to Jimmy Carter and said, it ain't good. There's no, there's no future. We're going, our production has peaked. The decline is happening. We're going to be forced to import more and more oil. And that's when they instituted price controls and they uh, said we can't export crude oil anymore. And it turns out that they were right until they were wrong. And, they, and it's, it's a fairly recent occurrence. And the reason is simple. Um, the engineers, and, and it's, this was blood, sweat, and tears by some really, really smart oil and gas geologists. Uh, they put together two technologies. Horizontal drilling, which had been used for years and years. Um, we, uh, we attacked Prudhoe Bay with it in the, in the 80s horizontal drilling out from shore underneath the ocean and fracking which has been around you know it's, it's really funny to me that people are up in arms about fracking now they started fracking wells in the 40s with nitroglycerin they called them torpedoes 
there's a job I don't want. We're going to drop nitroglycerin down an oil and gas well to crack the rocks, right? You know, there must be, uh, they're, they must have always needed new hands, you know? <laughs> I, don't, I don't imagine that was a very secure job. But this chart is amazing. This is a 68% increase from 2008. And this is only using April data. Um, the average, this is daily production, right? So the daily production in May is more, is, is higher, now it's, it was higher. And the forecast is significantly higher through the end of this year. We're on a tear. The amount of oil going through our refineries just set a new record. We're, we're running more oil through our refineries today than we have in 10 years. So, there's a lot of money to be made here. I really, really urge you, if you don't own shale companies in your portfolio, this is something you absolutely must do. Um, this is something we've been doing for the last two years with the SNA Resource Report, and we're making money. There's a bull market. There's a bull market, you know, and I, I firmly believe that when there's a bull market and you have the opportunity to make money, you should take it, you know? I'm right there with you in the junior mining space. Um, and, you know, it only takes getting punched in the nose so many times before you start looking somewhere else. Uh, and so while I am, I am a firm believer that the recovery will come in junior mining, I, I, I like to make money now. And there is money to be made. Uh, there is a lot of oil. We have 150 years of understanding of conventional oil fields. We have five years of understanding of shale so far. And there was a, a, a great presentation uh, at, a, at the, there was an, a conference in DC put on by the Energy Information Administration I went to last week. And uh, a representative from Schlumberger got up and said, uh, we're only just now starting to understand how the, the shale reservoirs work. So we understand that we crack the rocks and the, the, we go in and you seal off a part of the well, you perforate the casing and then you put high pressure fluid in there and it cracks the rocks. And the cracks will go out a thousand feet. And in that fluid that you use to crack the rocks, there's sand. And the sand goes in, it's called propant, and the sand holds the cracks open. The sand was only making it 300 feet into the cracks. So our effective reservoir was only 300 feet around the well. So all of the oil that we'd recovered was only from about 300 feet around. So they've changed the, their technology. We're putting more sand into the wells, we're putting it deeper, and we're setting all-time records now for shale production. And they found that in some areas, and this doesn't work in all areas, but in some areas, they can go back into wells that were drilled five or ten years ago, seal up the old fractures, refrack it, and you get virgin pressures back. We're recycling oil wells. This is really great. That's green, isn't it? I think it is. So I think that we have the opportunity to make a lot of money. This is a chart you're not going to see anyone else show you because the USGS... Um, is, is uh, way too conservative. What I did, so my background, for those of you who, who don't know me, um, I am an oil gas geologist. I, I spent way too much time in graduate school. And uh, I learned a lot about oil uh, reservoirs. And what I knew was that the oil that we've produced in the past 150 years came from conventional reservoirs. 
So a conventional reservoir is, would be if you filled this with ice and water, kind of look like that, right? The ice being the sand and the water being the oil. And the conventional reservoir is the cup. And it gets filled from a source rock. So just like you would fill this with a pitcher, that gets filled from a source rock. And not all of the oil comes out of a, a conventional reservoir. In fact, we're lucky if we can get about 35% of the oil held in the conventional reservoir out. So the oil we've produced in the past 150 years is the blue triangle. The oil that was actually held in the conventional reservoirs is the green triangle. And the oil that's left in the source rocks, because very little of the oil actually migrated out of the source rocks, which are the shales, is the black triangle. If we recover 5% of the oil remaining in the source rocks, we will have more oil than we've produced in the last 150 years. And that's just in the U.S. Our ability to crack rocks, these shales, what they call tight, tight oil, will change the future of energy. It already has in the United States. It will change it around the world. The really great thing about shale, in the U.S. particularly, is we know all about it. We know where they all are. Do you know why? We've been drilling through them for 150 years because they were utterly and completely useless when you were looking for conventional oil and gas. You couldn't get the oil out. You couldn't get the gas out. In fact, uh, the, the reason that they started cracking shales in the first place was because, um, oh gosh, the guys at Mitchell Energy got tired of drilling through the, the Barnett. They, they would be drilling down with their, their bit and they'd go through this little layer of rock and it would just be full of gas, and the gas kicks would go off the scale, and finally they just threw up their hands and said, why can't we turn the drill bit horizontally and, and crack this rock and see if we can get some of that gas out? And that was really, that was the question that they were asking in the 1990s that sent the price of natural gas from $14 a thousand cubic feet to under $2. Nobody thought they could do it with oil. Nobody thought that they could do it with what they call tight oil. And lo and behold, five years ago, they started doing it for oil as well. And so here we are today. So I said, the two technologies that are really critical here, hydraulic fracturing, horizontal drilling. <sighs> Fracking is, is uh, one of the most contentious tools in oil and gas. It's all it is is a tool. It's, it is a, a technique to crack rocks. It is no more uh, uh, an environmental boogeyman than drilling is. Uh, yet it's very easy for people to get up in arms about it. Um, I think it's very much overstated. There are really only three things you need to crack the rocks. You need water, you need sand, and you need giant rocks. Later on this afternoon, I'm gonna have a breakout work workshop, and I'm gonna talk to you about sand because that's gonna be a place where the junior mining ties into shale, and I think we have a chance to make a lot of money there. This is a, a picture I was flying into Midland, Texas, so I took this shot out of the plane. One of the great things about shale is that, as I said, the reservoirs are only about 300 feet in diameter around the wells, 
So you can drill these wells very, very close together. You can't do that in a conventional reservoir because the wells begin to interfere with each other and they, they start stealing oil from each other. But shale is very different because where this would be a conventional reservoir, the tabletop would actually be the shale. These are giant layers, very, very widely dispersed throughout these basins, and there are lots and lots of opportunities to drill wells in them. So as I said, small changes to the way we're drilling these wells are, is making a huge difference in the economics. You're, you're going to hear people say, well, I heard we can't do this in the shales in fill in the blank. I had a guy come up to me yesterday, said the same thing. Well, I heard you can't do that in Poland. I said, well, it's an economic proposition. It's not a technical, it's not a technological proposition. Rocks, shales, we can crack them. The engineers can do this. Slumberger, Halliburton, best engineers and scientists on the planet when it comes to cracking these rocks. However, if you're in Oklahoma and you break your drill bit, then it's a special drill bit used for, for uh, turning the well from vertical to horizontal. You call up your friends at the supply shop down in Houston and they air freight it to you in Oklahoma. Takes 10 hours. If you're in Poland, and you break your drill bit and you call your friends in Houston, it takes a little longer and it costs considerably more. So cracking the rocks is an economic proposition. And what we've done in the industry is get a much, much better handle on the economics. As I said before, increasing the sand, getting it out from 300 feet to 1,000 feet in the cracks is really making a difference. Cracking the rocks in two wells next to each other simultaneously, called a zipper frack, which I'll show you in a second, makes the wells more efficient. They produce more oil and gas. It used to be that a drill rig would show up in, on flatbeds, and they'd assemble it like a tinker toy, drill the well, disassemble it, put it back on flatbeds, and move it. It takes a lot of time. Time is money. So what they've done is they've made walking drill rigs where they actually assemble this thing and they can pick it up and it moves on little legs to the next hole and they're drilling multiple wells from one big pad instead of having one here and one an acre over and another mile down the road. They're drilling multiple wells on a single pad, cut the time, improve the economics dramatically. Another thing they're doing is same pad, you're drilling one well down at 7,000 feet, you're drilling another well down at 8,000 feet from basically the same hole. Those are called stack laterals. I'll show you uh, some images of these. So these are what we call stack laterals. So shale layers often, like the Permian Basin, there are a thousand feet of shale layers, discrete layers that we can crack and get oil and gas out of. So why move the drill rig? You go down and you hit each layer with a different well, frack it, now you only have to run one pipe to one location to collect all the oil from multiple wells. Zipper fracking, so this is, a, this is as simple a diagram as I could draw. This is a, it's an easy concept, but it's, it's hard. I'm not an artist, I'm a geologist, so this wasn't, wasn't my best work. But basically, you have two wells side by side. The idea is to crack as much of the rock as possible. So what you do is you go into well one, isolate a little, little section of it, 
crack it, and you go into well two, roughly to the same location, crack it, and you alternate down the wells. And what you find is you, you generate more cracks over the space. More cracks means more oil. So what does it mean in dollars and cents? Well, in the Eagle Ford, they've increased their, well, their sand consumption by five times. And that's resulted in oil production, uh, some of the top, uh, what they call initial production. So the, uh, when the well comes in initially, some of the better ones are coming in at 4,000 barrels of oil per day. This is a major, major improvement. A 1,000 barrel a day shale well was a screamer. 4,000 barrels a day at $100 a barrel is $400,000 a day in revenue. $12 million in a month. That pays for that well fairly quickly. That's the improvement. I mean, this is a, this is a very, very significant improvement. I'll show you another one. Um, so this is, this is uh, not an economic study, but this is how the, the science is, is uh, advancing. So this is a company called Enterplus Resources, um, and they're working in the Bakken up in the Williston Basin. And you can see that they've gone from 23 stages to 42 stages. Now a stage is, um, it's the segment in the horizontal leg that you actually crack. So when you had, say you had a 5,000 feet foot long horizontal leg, in 2012, they would only divide that up into 23 segments. Now they're dividing it up into as many as 42 segments, so much smaller. And when you concentrate the energy in a smaller area, again, you know, it's, it, you're, you're, you're smashing it into much smaller pieces. You get the sand out further, you get more oil and gas back. And uh, this change, has resulted in a 50% cost savings for the company per well, which is a dramatic improvement in your economics, right? This company called Simerex Energy, one of, one of my favorites. Um, and this shows you basically the, the, the incremental cost associated with the, the improved science and what it does for their internal rates of return and their oil production. So the original well cost them $8 million to drill, 30% return, and it would produce about 1,050 barrels a day. By increasing the volume of sand, right, to move from 300 feet out to 1,000 feet, um, and they, be, they found that if they drilled longer laterals, so if, if 5,000 foot laterals were good, 7,000 foot laterals turned out to be better, um, the additional cost was only about $700,000 per well, so less than 10% of a cost increase, and the IRR went up from 30% to 77%. And that's due to an increase of 400 barrels a day in oil production per well. Small changes, a little bit more sand, a little bit longer laterals, you know, less than 10% increase in the cost of drilling a well, yields dramatic results. So what that means for, as an investor is we see that um, Simerex, for example, their production estimates for next year are significantly higher than they were this year. And so they're drilling the same number of wells, but they're getting more oil and gas out of the wells. And I know that we're a junior mining 
conference. Uh, and so you've been talking to these companies. And so, you know, concepts like revenue, earnings, it's a little foreign. So, you know, I, I just wanted to come back to this idea that these are companies that are making money today, uh, not a decade. And sorry for all my friends back there. <laughs> this is an old joke among us. Um, there is a lot of money to be made for investors as well. So let me just show you what a good shale company looks like. This is EOG Resources. Um, any, of you, any of you guys remember Enron? Yeah, this is Enron Oil and Gas. It's great. Enron, uh, Enron imploded. And if you go back and look, they had a pipeline company, and they had a paper mill company, and they had this oil and gas exploration company, and they're all doing fantastic. If those guys had just quit messing around with the books, they would have done so well. But anyway, so EOG has done a fantastic job. They were an early adopter of the shale technology. Um, they were one of the first companies out there to apply what they'd learned in gas shales to, to tight oil, to these oil shales, um, and the results speak for themselves. So $24 billion market cap in 2009, $45 billion market cap today. Uh, and actually, this is, this is old data, so this that may be significantly higher than that now. Um, so you can see operating cash flows. So this is money that they're making for, you know, in the bank right now. Went from you know, almost three to over seven. This is all due to cracking rocks, improving their technologies, small changes, generating massive returns. Here's what it did for their production. So as you can see, in 2009, 16% of their production was oil. And by the end of 2013, 43% of it was oil. They had to change. This was, the, this was one of the things that the industry recognized early on was that um, there was so much natural gas, not enough demand, we had to shift to oil. So that really drove the engineers to figure out oil as fast as they possibly could. So for those of you, any of you, wasn't me, unfortunately, I missed this one, um, who were lucky enough and smart enough to get in back in 2009, you wrote it from you know, $35 to $105 a share. That's a nice win. This is still happening. There are other companies that are following EOG. It's a pretty simple resource model. You simply have to improve your economics. And there are companies out there that are doing it. So as I said, I think that Cimerex Energy is probably the most likely candidate to be the next EOG. $12 billion in market cap, a billion dollars in debt, so they're very, very managing their debt very well. They're still over half natural gas production, but their oil production is rapidly creeping up. And they're growing their production by 20% this year. Now, I want you to think back to that original slide that I showed you of oil production in the US declining every year until 2008. And now I want you to look at this slide again and realize that this company is going to grow its production by 20% in a year. That's astonishing. 
So that's revenue that's going to come in. It's going to grow by 20%. Their earnings are going to grow by not quite that much, but significant. All you have to do is buy the shares, and the, the value of the stock is going to go up, and it's going to continue to go up as long as they continue to improve their production, and they're doing it year in and year out. So I'm a little early, but uh, I want to leave you with this. Uh, this afternoon, I'm going to talk about some junior mining companies. Um, the, there is an aspect of shale that requires miners, um, and that is the frac sand, the, and it's silica sand. About 90% of the, of the material that we use in the fracking of, of wells is silica sand, and it's mined. Companies like High Crush Partners um, have they have a, uh, a handful of mines in Wisconsin, and their share price has gone straight up. I'm going to show you a chart to them, and then I'm going to show you some other companies that I think are going to benefit because Wisconsin is getting tired of producing frac sand. They don't. They, they you know the economy is doing too well. They need to tighten things down. Um, they're afraid of the dust in the air. So there are opportunities for companies outside of Wisconsin right now that I think are really great. Some of them are in junior mining. So that's upstairs. Saturna is uh, one flight up or one elevator level up. And so hopefully you all can find me. And for those of you who are interested in uh, reading more of my research, following this trend, I'm really excited about this. Um, I think this is a really big idea. This is a big trend. We've done very well to this point, and I don't see why we're, we wouldn't continue. Um, you can find me at www.stansburyresearch.com. And if you go there and look me up, uh, you can find me under the resource report. Thank you very much for your time.